we're facing another Christmas. The older I get, I mean, the quicker they come. I mean, it was like yesterday that we were doing this and and again, having having Ashley off to off to school changes things. Like there are no rat presents under our tree because she hasn't been there to wrap them. <laughs> yes, she even wraps her own. We have to put them in cellophane so that she doesn't know what she's doing. But I don't know what we would do without Amazon and and picking it up at Walmart. Melody doesn't go to the store anymore. She said, "Check, I figure out how somebody to cook it and eat it for me, then we'd be set." But. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we live in an unusual day, don't we? When we when we convenience and and yet I I don't I don't and I know there were I'm not naive enough to say this that there weren't those but a more war ridden time than we find ourselves today. And again, I know World War One, World War Two, Civil War would far outshine those. But in the world, as we look. Our, I guess, too, as we look at the world, I mean, we're grieved over Ukraine and Russia, but I don't know about you, but my heart's turned when it's about Israel. It is. I, I mean, like it or not, it's, that's the reality. They, God chose that group of people to reveal Himself through and debate. I think the Lord has something in store for Israel in the future. What that means, we don't know, but right now it means war. And of course, those that want to call for peace, and I'm all for peace, but I'm not sure how you have peace when the people you're fighting will only have peace with you once you're dead. Yeah. How, do you, how do you do that? You know, for years too in the United States, especially over the last, I would say, five to ten years, We've been lectured by one side about division and racism. Kneeling during the flag and all of those things. But today to be led by that same group in racism. It's interesting. The same group that wants to lecture us about it, but it's the same group that is leading us now into racism. It reminds us that we are in a lost world, aren't we? Yeah, it's going to get worse and worse. I mean, every once in a while we'd have a sparkle of something like, okay, the Lord's going to come anytime soon because it's really, really good. But now we can see, okay. And, and we see even in the Middle East, if we look at it, 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 it can teeter. Okay, I mean, we could end up in World War III quick over there, right? I mean, it's nothing but a powder keg just waiting to blow. It's just waiting on the next group to fire the shot. But we also see that making borders and making regulations doesn't change the heart. And I'm just using a real, I'm not going to preach on Israel and Hamas today. That's not what I'm preaching on. But it's a real life illustration of just because you give land to someone doesn't solve the heart problem nor the hatred. You understand? Okay. And the same thing's true in us. Just because we have victories in some areas in our life, and, and if you're a believer, and you will, I look back and I thank the Lord for salvation, but I'm so far past that now, but there's so much work to do. I'm reminded, you're not redeemed yet. 
steal parts of me. I had a flash up this morning. I'm, I, the preacher doesn't preach at you that I don't use myself as an illustration, but our insurance company decided to give us, and everybody, and the thought was good, a, a thing that goes underneath the sinks to let you know when there's a water leak. Well, that's good. That's a good idea. The problem was it went off two weeks ago when I was 20 minutes from home. Daryl had knee sur leg surgery. Alan's on the other side of town, and it's blowing up. You've got a major water leak, major water leak. Nothing. I come in here, nothing, not a drop. They call. They, I mean, they call. It went off again this morning, let you know they've called me 15 times since 928. Okay? <laughs> I've told them every time there's no leak, they keep calling back. Some of you have saw the flash of my thoughts. I threw it out in the yard, threw it in the mud hole. So that they could deal with the water leak out there. Okay. It's a good system, but it really doesn't doesn't fix us any because we have concrete floors and we're renting. So if anything happens, it actually is on the renter on the owner. But I get it, but even that, even technology doesn't solve our problems, right? And we can set up all sorts of Systems and regulations, even, let's go this, we're about to venture into 2024, and I'm sure we're going to begin with new, new Year resolutions, and one of them probably at the top of your list is going to be, I'm going to read my Bible through this year. Now, let me ask you a question. All right, we're all confessing. My hand's already up. How many of you started with that and have yet to finish it? One, come on. There's more people in here than that. Here we go. Okay, we all start. Yeah, we all start till you get to Leviticus, right? No, I'm all, Are I'm you done? Hey, see you there. He gets the prize. Okay. You get there first. All right. But don't we do that, though? Mm -hmm. And we get... Here's the other thing that happens, though. We get those reading lists. And, and if you're going to do it, let me, I, I, let me give you another way to do it. Read one chronologically. Get the chronological reading list so that these minor prophets are being actually being stuck in history where they belong because I don't know if you've ever read them and go, I don't know where this guy belongs. Well, if you read it chronologically, it'll stick it back over in 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 2 Samuel, those areas. But, but we, we read, but here's the other question. Are we changed? See, I've, I've done it too and I'm more interested in checking the box off than I'm out about being transformed by what I read. And I can't stop because the box has got to be checked off, right? I got to get the box checked off. See, reading list doesn't change my heart. Just coming to church doesn't change your heart. We all have a heart problem. We talk about solving race problems. Race problems aren't race problems. Race problems are heart problems. Amen. And I'm even talking about inside Christendom. Mm -hmm. I remember talking to my dad. My dad was born in 1918. Fought in World War II. Had first cousins give their lives in World War II. And any time we talked about the Japanese, my dad would stop talking. 
And I remember confronting him about it one time. One of the only times I confronted him about something. And I said, is that the right attitude? And he said, son, you didn't endure what we endured. And there's truth in that. But the next day he was teaching in Colossians. And he ran across our text. And he came to me and said, you know what, you're right. I need to bury this thing. I need to bury it because it is a heart issue. We've been looking in Colossians and Paul has reminding us back up in chapter 2, verse 16, it's not about festivals, it's not about new moons, it's not about fe- uh, uh, Sabbaths even. Those are things are shadows. And then he talks about let no one disqualify you by insisting on asceticism or the worship of angels. And then he says this in verse 23, These indeed are appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body, but they have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. See, Paul is already reminding us already, this is a flesh problem. We have a, we have a, we have a part of us that's been renewed. Our inner man, we got a new inner man, but it's incarcerated in this flesh. If we're not careful, we end up, we end up describing that, and I did it too. We, we, it's easy to do, but we're not half redeemed on the inside. We, we have a new heart, but we won't get the new flesh till later. Okay? We're still incarcerated in this old flesh, this old part of me, this old self that Paul calls it in verse 9 of chapter 3. This old self, this old man that has its own passions and desires. These things that he mentioned in chapter 2 have no way of stopping that. Well, what should be our reaction? So follow along with me, beginning in verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, you're a believer, you're a Christian, then seek things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Seek to continual action, to seek and keep on seeking, to search for, to desire, to, to strive after, to seek for the purpose of to find. Seek things above. Do you want to go home to be with the Lord? Yeah. Older I get, the more I'm looking forward to that day when that day comes or His coming. I'll take either one. Okay. But I want to use this time in my life to seek things above, to seek the Lord, to seek His presence, to seek His glory. Then it says, verse 2, to then to set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth. To think, to have an inner disposition, to set and keep on setting my mind on things above. Now, as I mentioned this several weeks ago, that sounds like cloud talk. It's like, don't worry. Okay? What are you doing? I'm trying not to worry. What are you doing? I'm worried about not worrying. That's what we do, okay? These are, he's going to describe for us, what does this mean? What does it mean to seek things above? What does it mean to set my mind on things above? Verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Remember your position in Christ. You're in Him. When Christ is your life will appear, then you will appear with Him in, in glory. You'll be arraigned in all of that glory when He, when he comes. But now, right now, Put to death, or your verse may say, mortify. Therefore, what is earthly in you? Sexual immorality, 
impurity, passions, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you once, you once too once walked. And when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have been put off the old self. Here it is, with its practices. And have put on the new self, the new man which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its Creator. Here, there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has complained against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you are indeed called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Lord, we ask Your blessings now upon Your Word, in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. We've been talking about put to death. Back to verse 5. Put to death. Make as dead. To render weak, impotent, to view as a corpse, to mortify, consider as dead, one says. We're to make a resolution to put sin to death, bring the flesh under subjection to the spirit-filled new disposition. And I'll talk about that more in a minute. He gives us three imperatives now that follow that that we've looked at. That we're to that that requires action and attitude. Put away sexual immorality. I'm going to take these one at a time. That's pornography. That's selling of our bodies. That's to, to prostate ourselves. It's the kind of sexual sin that is unlawful. Or to put it this way, any type of sexual activity outside of marriage between a man and a woman. We looked at Acts chapter 15 and Acts 21, 1 Corinthians 5, Galatians 5, 1 Thessalonians 4. We're to abstain, to control the flesh. Far away, cast far away sexual, that sexual tendency outside of our bodies and to be inside the bond of marriage. It says impurity, uncleanness. This is a filthy mind. This is sensual, suggestive thoughts or humor. This is Listen, this is talk around the water cooler on Monday. This is crude talk. This is perverted fantasies. Then he talks about uh, inordinate passions, or a word is passions, it's inordinate affections. It's depraved passions. It's lust. It's uncontrolled desire. It's to see someone for your own self. Romans 1, verse 26, don't turn there, but let me just read it to you. Paul in his indictment upon humanity in Romans 1, 26 says, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations to those that are contrary 
to nature. Verse 27, And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameful acts with men and receiving themselves the due penalty for their error. Folks, we're living in an age that that kind of action is celebrated. Mm-hmm. The problem is, it's crept in the church. Mm-hmm. And now the church will no longer call sin, sin. That's right. This is inordinate affection. Fourthly, evil desires, wicked desires. Motivated by sin's nature. uh, The execution of evil ends. He also says then covetousness. This is greed. It's to have what is forbidden. It's interesting that it's listed here in the list of sexual sins because that's what sexual sin is. It's to have somebody that's not your spouse and desire to have them, and it's agreed to have them, to have what is forbidden. And greed is the motive behind all these sins. It's root cause. This was the cause of Satan's fall, was it not? I will ascend and I will be like God. I will ascend to the throne of God. This is the desire for what isn't yours. This is a desire for what is forbidden. This is a, this is a desire against the will of God for you. This is a desire for what you have no right to have. Now we start thinking of that inside sexual sins, but we can back out of that and we start seeing our relationship to the world now. Well, what are you willing to do to get that car? What are you willing not to say to get that job because you want that pay? What are you willing to do to... To get anything you desire, that's that evil desire. That's covetousness. That is, in its root, is the desire to have what you don't have. By the way, it is, it is the absence of contentment. It's the opposite of contentment. If you think you deserve more money, you'll steal. And by the way, stealing doesn't necessarily mean sticking it under your coat, walking out the door with it. That's right. Tax season's coming up, isn't it? Okay, preacher, you've gone to meddling now. Okay? It's to steal. It's a desire for prestige and have evil ambitions to get there. You want the prestige. You want the honor that goes with that position. What are you willing to sacrifice to get it? This is a desire, passion for power, and it leads to tyranny. My dad used to say, you want to see the evilness of man for power? Put a flashlight in his hand and have him direct traffic. That's all you got to do. It comes with power. I can tell you with this flashlight where you're supposed to park. And if you don't park there, I'm going to come. Right? It can lead to tyranny. Or if it's a desire for person, it can lead to sexual sin. When we sin, it is as the basis of doing what we desire rather than what God desires. It is the worship of ourselves. And he calls it here in this covetousness which is idolatry. It is putting some other God in the place of the one true God. The opposite and the antidote to covetousness is contentment to be happy with what God has given you. 
Well, we know. What, what, did we, what do we have that we did not receive from where? From God. We received it from God. Is it enough? All the years that I grew up, my, my dad was a high school and then came a, it was called junior high at the time, called middle school, I think now. We lived in the principal's home. And it was, it was, I go back and look at it, I don't know how six people lived in that house. And one bathroom. Okay? I know now why mom had me later, because she had a 16-year-old and a 14-year-old and a 7-year-old, and then I came along. The reason was there wasn't enough bathroom space to have them all close together, so she spread them out so some of them would be gone, okay, by the time we got there. But my mom, we, we would go see her, her, her sisters, and, and they all had nice homes. You can imagine the principal's home was not, it was, it was, I, if it had a thousand square feet in as I look at it today, I, just, I can't believe how small it was. My mom used to, in her prayer, she'd just say, Lord, I want my own house. I'm living in the principal's home. I'm thankful for it, but I'd love to get it. Well, the time came that they did away with the principal's home, and as it all lined up, my dad was retiring um, at the same time, and they were doing away with the principal's home, and my mom sat on the floor. I came in laughing. She was laughing and crying at the same time. And I said, what are you laughing and crying about? She said, I've been praying for my own house for 20 years and I've been living in it the whole time. <laughs> we just picked it up, moved it down the road. Contentment. It's hard to have, isn't it? And see, this requires thankfulness in your heart that somebody else has what you don't have. This is rejoicing over God's blessing in somebody else's life. Maybe that's another plowing too close to the corn, right? It's, God, thank you that you bless that person that way. Lord, thank you. Listen, I'm let me, Bob, Tommy, I'm sure has done the same thing, and we go to conferences, and there's guys that get up there, and they pastor 5,000 people, and you go... But I remember MacArthur saying something. He said, you know what? God didn't call you to pastor 5,000 people. But he also didn't call me to pastor 85. And as my dad used to say, you know, we look and we say the grass is always greener. It's because the septic tank's bigger on that side. Right? It's got more manure on it. Right? But sometimes, even, even in pastorates, it's hard not to look at those go, uh but to be content with what the Lord is doing and what He's given us. That's at the heart, right? Con contentment comes from trusting God. It comes from the knowledge of Him. That we know that He'll withhold no good thing from me if He thinks that I need those things. I'm content with his purposes and his, and his plans. Paul reminds us motivating reason behind the sin of death because in look, look at verse, um, verse 6, the motivating issue is, man, the wrath of God's coming. God still hates sin. His settled anger his fixed 
hatred for sin, that which is controlled, that which is passionate, one day the Lord is going to unleash His wrath. The holiness of God will be stirred into action against sin. You know, I, I balance that. I look at people that say things that are just stupid. And my heart grieves. Lord, would you save them? And there's other people going, hmm, you're going to find out one day who you're talking about on your knees. Because that at the name of Christ, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Unbelievers will experience the full wrath, full force of God's wrath. But for us as believers, we don't experience His wrath, but we do experience His chastening, don't we? Yes. Hebrews reminds us, for whom the Lord loves, He chastens, He disciplines as rearing a child, the training, the discipline for education, for correction. To rebuke us. But we are in a real battle. Turn with me. These verses came to my mind this week as I was preparing. Look back at Romans 7. I asked Bob to read Romans 6. I want to go to Romans 7 this morning. Romans 7. remind us that we are at two wars. Ephesians tells us that we'll be adorned in the armor of God so we wrestle not against flesh and blood, against powers, against the rulers in darkness in high places. But here, Paul reminds us in verse 24, I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death. Paul is recognizing here that there is this war going on. It's against the flesh. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Another one for me. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul reminds us here. Beginning in verse 25. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 25. Every Athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do receive a, a, a perishable crown, but we an imperishable. For I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one that beateth the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself might be disqualified. Your words, the old King James, I remember memorizing was, we buffet our body. We made joke of it to buffet. We'll do that later, right? We'll buffet our body. But it means to discipline. The word means to hit under the eye. It means to give it a black eye. It means to knock it out. I discipline. I, I go to war. I fight against my body to keep it under. To keep it under control. My inner man, the part of me that's been converted, that part of me that is new, that's the one that's in control, not my flesh. My flesh doesn't rule me. I rule over my flesh, but man, there's a war sometimes, isn't yes. there? I mean, it can be as the smallest thing of 
having your devotions and you get up in the morning and you have your devotion and I need to find out about the news or I need to answer this email or I need to I need to or I could sleep a little bit longer I don't have and we go to war we do and we did this about work. We do it in other places. But folks, we've got to do this about our spiritual walk with the Lord. We've got to go to war with our own selves and say, Hey, I'm going to keep my body under. I'm going to keep it under control. MacArthur said, Most people, including many Christians, are instead slaves to their own bodies. Their bodies tell their minds what to do. Their bodies decide when to eat, what to eat, how much to eat, when to sleep and get up and so on. The athlete cannot allow that. He follows the training rules, not his body. He runs when he'd rather be resting. He eats a balanced meal when he'd rather have chocolate sundae. He goes to bed when he'd rather stay up. He gets up early to train when he... He would rather stay in bed. An athlete leads his body. He does not follow it. It is a slave, not the other way around. Paul trained rigorously, lest possibly after I preach to others, I myself should be disqualified. A contestant who failed to meet the training requirements was disqualified. He could not even run, much less win. Paul did not want to spend his life preaching the requirements to others and then disqualify for not meeting the requirements himself. Many believers start their Christian life with enthusiasm and devotion. Remember that? Remember, I mentioned last week, I got my first Bible. I remember I could smell it. I could still smell it. And boy, I wanted to read it. But it, it wasn't long until I was, I was fighting the flesh about reading that thing. Yeah. We begin our Christian life with enthusiasm and devotion, but the training carefully for a while will soon tire of the effort and begin to break training. Hmm. We must, back to our text, we must put it to death. We must put it away. Look at verse 8, Colossians 3. And now you must put them all away. Put them death in verse 5. These are the outward manifestations of our flesh. Now we have the inward attitudes that we're going to have to deal with. You must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk with your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Put them away. Put them aside. I don't know that women do this, but guys, do you, you get a pair of pants or a pair of blue jeans that after 10 years, you finally got them broke in. Okay? And they got holes everywhere. They're thin. Okay, I've got some heads nodding, and the wives are rolling their eyes. Going, yeah, okay, okay. All right. My girls over here will acknowledge I've had a pair of blue jeans. And as long as the tear is on my leg, we're okay. But if it goes somewhere else... Melody's going to throw it in the trash, all right? Okay? 
But it's hard. You know, you finally got those broke in. And I mean, you, you don't want to go out looking like that. She'll say, well, you know, I don't, okay. It's, it's putting those old clothes away. To discard filthy, tattered rags of our old life. I mean, I've done it that way for... 40 years and it's hard to get rid of them it is Amen. it is it's hard to get rid of them what are these old clothes well first one he mentions here is anger deep smoldering resentful bitterness is the word it's an inward attitude of sinful flesh but here's here's the issue about anger here Provocations do not create this, create this anger. They merely reveal that he is an angry person and gives a target for his fury. Dads, do, do, does your wife or your kids walk on eggshells around you waiting for you to explode at something that's about to happen? That's anger. That's outburst of anger. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Paul writing here, the church at Ephesus reminds them, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Along with malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ has forgiven you. It's slow to anger. Or in James chapter 1, I'll read this one to you, verses 19 and 20. Uh, know this, my beloved, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You're not representing Him when you do that. Representing your own self. Here's an interesting thing that I've discovered over the years. Most anger that I've seen in people are at those people who mirror your own sin. We have less tolerance for people who are dealing with the same things we're dealing with. And we have more anger at them rather than being angry with ourselves. Anger and wrath, he says, this is sudden outburst of anger. This is white hot anger. This, this is a flash. Let me illustrate it this way by taking it out of that realm just a minute. How many of you get live Christmas trees? Everybody get live Christmas trees? Okay, all right. But we grew up getting them. Melody lived in the mountains where they were sold. My brother loved getting them. Well, at the end of the year, though, we had a big fire. he had a big fireplace, and he'd always cut the limbs off and stick those dried limbs in there. Okay, man, and they, I mean, they go up like that, don't they? Man, they just perk. Okay, so he's, he's cutting that tree off and sticking the limbs in there. Well, he gets to about that much of the trunk left, and he measures the fireplace. <laughs> And he says, that will fit. 
the problem is the fireplace did this. So he gets it about halfway in there and it catches fire. Fire came up. The man only ended up having to grab the poker to hold it. Blistered his hand. The, hot, the, the fire was so hot. It went up the mantle across the ceiling probably five feet. And of course it's quick. It's over quick. Massive heat. He said, I feel like an idiot. That's wrath. <laughs> That's what that is. That's the perfect picture of wrath. Mm -hmm. You put it in it and all of a sudden, boom! You're exploded. No, no, no getting there. No, not a little anger. Not a little dissatisfaction. It is boom! It's a sudden burst of anger and wrath. Carson calls it anger, um, speaking of the settled attitude, while wrath is the passionate outburst, Carson says. You could put it this way too. Anger is on the inside. Wrath is the response to that on the outside. Next, he mentions malice. Malice, moral evil. A nature which is bent on doing harm to others. And it would seem to be that he's harmed by evil speech here, or nasty, or, 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 or hasty speech. You turn to Ephesians 4.31, he uses it there, also 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. It's, it's just, it's, it is a moral evil attacking to harm of others. You mean them malice. You do them harm. And we do that with our words, don't we? We're not careful, especially as parents. And we'll speak harsh, and we know we're speaking harsh, and our kids melt, and you just, you just, you, you did not accomplish what you just wanted to do. You just destroyed your testimony instead of ministering grace, because we're going to talk about that in a minute. Next, he mentions slander. It means blasphemy. We're to treat people with a dignity because they are made in God's image. This includes insults or disparaging remarks devoted and directed towards people. James chapter 3 and verse 10, James records us, for the same mouth will bring comes blessings and cursings. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. He mentions next obscene talk from your mouth, abusive talk. Abusive or derogatory speech to hurt or to wound. I remember um, Carrie Hardy and Pam Hardy were here. Carrie was speaking. And he told his wife something and how he needed to be corrected about something. And he said, if you can finish my sentence with, you stupid idiot, then I said it wrong. And it wasn't long, something happened with the car, and he said, you should have known that. And she said, you stupid idiot. Mm. Getting hot in here, ain't it? Mm. Yeah. We want to put people in place with our speech. 
And he says, lie not one to another. And in point of lying, we're imitating Satan and not God, right? For the Father, he is the Father of lies. This would include to tell a deliberate untruth. You're a liar. That's not what happened. Or to create wrong impressions. My, my niece. Once removed. Driving our car, and she had a wreck with. Her. And the person that still debating who hit who. Person drove off. That doesn't look good, right? They didn't come back for thirty minutes. I got a feeling the person who came back was not the person who was driving. But I was talking to her dad, and what the person did is they're pulling up the on ramp, and they pulled over to the side. So she figured they were going off the road, stopped. So she went on around them. They came right back out, went right down the side of the car. What she didn't say to me was, there was no shoulder to that road. There was two guardrails. So the guy pulling over couldn't have gone over far. What I'm saying is, we have the ability, listen, we have the ability to tell things and give people the wrong impression. She wasn't trying to lie to me. That wasn't it. And she was being truthful about it, but it's interesting how we tell things. Rather than saying, you know what, I thought he was pulling over to the side, but he wasn't. He came back out and, and hit me. But listen, we give the wrong impression sometimes, and we mean to do it. Because we don't want to be as guilty as we are. It means to reveal a partial truth. My husband, he never emptied the trash. Never. <laughs> never. 100% term, never. Well, no, that's a lie. What is it meant to do? To make him look worse. My wife never tells me she loves me. Never? You've been married for 40 years? She's never said that to you? Well, no, that, I mean, it's not. That's a lie. But we tell it to make ourselves look good, don't we? We know how to, we know how to turn. We know how to distort facts by exaggeration. You know the fish. It was this big, right? Right. Ephesians 4. Again, don't turn to this. Ephesians 4, uh, verse 5. Ephesians 4, verse 5? 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one speak the truth with his neighbor. We're members of one another. So we're to seek and to set our minds on things above. We're to put to death our old flesh. We're to put off the old self and put on the new self. The old self, the unregenerated part of our flesh, the former manner, the old, the wretched, the depraved, the sinful, the corrupt. We're to put on the new self. But look with me at verse 11. This seems to be an odd verse to me. By the way, let me, let me finish verse, verse 10. And put on the new self. Well, how do we do that? 
It's renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Turn over to Romans 12. You know this text. Romans 12 and verse... One and two, I appeal to you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual worship. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed how? By the renewing of your mind, that you may test, that you may discern what is the will, what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That is how we put off the old self. It is to put on the new self in the knowledge of Him, to be filled with the knowledge of His Word. One writer says this to give us the understanding between the old self and the new self. God, by sovereign grace, chose you to be in Christ, so that when Christ died, you were, you were spiritually in Christ in the purposes of God. You died in His death. You rose in His resurrection. You are now alive in Christ as a new creation in union with the Son of God. You are empowered to put off the remnants of the old life and put on the elements of the new and the righteous life. And this is the process of sanctification. It is the putting off and the putting on. It is the progress, the work of the Word, the power of the Spirit conforming us to the image of Christ. When does this end? When He calls you home. Eric, are you still being renewed? Yes. And my wife tell you, you've got a long way to go, honey. <laughs> And we do, don't we? Yes. And sometimes it is two steps forward and one step back, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It is easy to fall back on our old self, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It is easy to get tired and get worn out and it doesn't take longer until anger and wrath and His words start coming back out again. And we've got to start back over asking for forgiveness and seeking to love the one that we've hurt the most. But look at verse 11. Seemed like a strange verse for me. Because he's talking about putting off and putting on, doing these things. Then he says, here, here where? In the body of Christ, inside, inside our relationship with the Lord, being as, as, as new creatures, here, in the church, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in and all. What is that? Is that a commercial? Is, that, is he just saying, hey, by the way, we're brought to you by these guys? Or is he talking about another sin? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know what he's talking about? Partiality, Partiality and segregation. Mm -hmm. What a world we live in, one writer says. So much social hatred ethnic hatred, separation of religion, education, economics. There are so many people getting divided up even over fashion and music. The whole world is just fragmented with hatred. Always has been and always will be. Resentment, prejudice, scorn leads to conflict, leads to violence, leads to crime, leads to destruction, leads to war. It's everywhere and it's going on all the time. We can't settle this world down and make them get along. Can we? No. No. But here, 
We're in Christ. Amen. And Christ is in them. This writer says, I don't care what your ethnic background is, what your social story is. Doesn't matter to the Lord. Doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to us what your economics are, what your education is. It doesn't matter what crimes you have committed in the past. Doesn't matter what you. It doesn't matter because you're new in Christ, right? This is God's family. And those distinctions do not exist. To, our, our, to artificially create them as an un, unsanctified act of attacking the work of Christ in the church. And we look at this group, and I would, I would challenge you, I'm not going to go through all these today, but you ought, you ought to look up who the barbarians and the Scythians were. There were a reason they didn't like them. So it reminds me of Jonah. Remember? Jonah needs you to go up to Nineveh. Mm-mm. No. Nah. Not happening. Why not? Those are wicked people. They cut the bellies of babies open, uh, of mothers open and take their babies out. They, they take the heads of the conquerors and put them on poles outside the front gate of the, of the city. Mm-mm. I'm not going. You are. You are going. These were dividing lines, even for the church. And Paul is saying, not here. Not here. Christ is all and in all. Yes. We better not care what the color of a man's skin is or his ethnic background, or his economic standing, or his social, we need to be concerned that they are in Christ. And if they're in Christ, they are our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's right. I grew up in the Deep South. My dad was about fired from his school because he fed a black man. My sister at the age of five, if you know my sister, you'd not be surprised at this. She sashayed in the soda shop there and it had a sign, Whites Only, and she walked in. We had a, a, a black lady that kept us and mom was teaching. And my sister walked in said, I want a Coca-Cola and she's coming with me. I mean, my little town. Not here. Amen. Not here. God does away with all of that. Yes. Now our brothers and sisters in Christ, it makes no difference. There's a change that happens. And then he says this, put on then. If we're not supposed to act that way, put on then as chosen ones, holy, beloved, compassionate hearts. Towards who? Towards verse 11. Our brothers and sisters, we're supposed to be have compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, Patience, bearing one another. If anyone has to complain against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all, put on love which binds everything together. How's that going to happen? I mean, you look at that list, we stop there, we look at How's that going to happen? I know the heart of man. I know the prejudice that's in man. I know that you're not going to magically wipe that off of 50 years of prejudice against some color or some race or something. You're not going to imagine, how's that going to go away? 
It will go away when the peace of God rules in their hearts. To indeed which you are called in one body and be thankful. It will happen when the, when the Word of Christ resides in you richly. The word means to take up home in. Is the Word of God a visitor in your heart? Or is it a welcome member of your heart? It dwells in me, resides in me, and it's always teaching and admonishing me and one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God, and that whatever we do in word or in deed, we do all in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. That's the change. That's the change. The Word of God is the fuel that that is the food that fuels the growth of the new self. Yes. Are you being renewed? I haven't dealt with that. Those we will next time. We're going to be putting on those. The compassionate hearts forgiveness. Are you in the Word to grow in the knowledge and that practice of putting off and putting on? The secret to killing and the putting off and the putting on is found in verses 12 through 17 is to put on then love, is to put on the peace of Christ, let the peace of Christ rule and the word of God, Christ dwell and the glory of Christ reign in our hearts. Romans chapter 6, Bob read for us. I'll read verses 12 and 13. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal flesh to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as members of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been bought from death, brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you have now under law but under grace. You've been set free. Church, one time I candidated in. Asked me, what will you do for black couple comes in here. And I went, I don't understand the question. I said, explain your position. He said, well, I, I, think, I, think, I think they like to worship with their own kind. I said, if they're believers, they're with their kind, right? I didn't get that, church. That's fine. But I heard years later from that man's son who was on the board. He said, Dad's problem was he was lost. But he said, before he died, the Lord saved him. 
And he said he came into church and on that Sunday that he came to make public. So the African American couple there came to visit. Dad went up to him, I don't know you. You're my brother in Christ. Would you come to my home today? Eat a meal with me, my family, and I hope you'll stay here at our church. Mm. See what what happens. Yes. Now you you have to examine. Mm. You got to examine those things in you. They are. Are all that those things are still there in our flesh? You got to go to war. Yes. Got to go to war. Our prayer every day, Lord, help me today to look more like you than me. God, that you transform my heart. Now listen, if you're here without Christ, that's a losing battle. That's right. You'll never do it. Because you've got to be transformed first. If you don't know Christ, the one who set you free, invite you to find him knowing today and for us as believers we need to be putting it off we need to be mortifying that flesh and we need to be putting on what it looks like to be a believer Father we thank you even for these tough messages make us stop make us do work Lord, in many ways, I'd rather preach the Christmas message today. That's not where we are. Father, I pray for a work of grace, first of all, in those that are here that do not know you as Lord and Savior and treasure of their life. They've never been set free. They're still a slave to their sin. Lord, would you, would you set them free today? Would you grant them faith and repentance today that they would come to you? And Father, for us that know you, Father, help us. Give us power through your Spirit and through your Word. Continue to conform us to your image. And we get up every day with that desire, Lord, help me today to look less like me and more like you. And when we do fail, and we will, May we know what it means to forgive one another. We, may we know what it means to, to go and confess that, not lie. Say, I was wrong when, would you forgive me? What a joy it is to forgive. Have relationships restored. So Father, in this season, Lord, I hope you re- remind us of We're all in Christ. Christ is in us. So that whether we eat or drink or whatsoever we do, we do all to the glory of God. We do it all to the praise and honor of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.